Once again, welcome to Value Nigeria Podcast. I remain Ajibola, your host. Thank you very much for listening week in, week out to all that we have to say. Thank you for listening to last week's episode of the podcast. The, the feedback that we've gotten has been really, really encouraging. Thank you for sending the mail through and for getting in touch with us. This week, we have another guest lined up for you, and it promises to be an enlightening discussion. Our guest on this week's episode of the podcast is a medical doctor. Good to be in good company. <laughs> He's a medical doctor, though he doesn't practice medicine anymore. As part of his financial education, he's been to the London Business School where he had his Master's in Business Administration. He's a CFA charter holder. And if you're wondering what um, CFA means, that's Certified Financial Analyst. He has had quite a lot of professional experience spanning from working as the Senior Investment Analyst and Portfolio Manager at um, FCMB Bank. From there, he served in various capacity, culminating in him serving as the Chief Investment Officer at Premium Pensions Limited, and he's also the co-founder and Chief Investment Officer of a growing fund management company at present uh, with worldwide reach. Um, my guest is no other than Dr. Manasi Igidigbi. I hope you have an educative time listening to our conversation. So once again, welcome everyone to this week's episode of the podcast. It's a huge pleasure for me to have um, my guest on the show today. Um, it's been a long time in the making, but I'm glad we've finally been able to um, find a time that works for both our schedules, even to bring him to you. I have Dr. Manasi Egedigbi um, with us on the podcast, and he's popularly known as um, Knight of the Delta, or KOD, um, just for short. So I might be calling him KOD um, interchangeably all through the podcast this morning. Um, so Dr. Manasi, do you just want to introduce yourself and just say hello to everyone listening out there? Yeah, thank you very much for inviting me to this uh, to this your podcast. Um, so, so I really don't know what kind of uh, introduction okay. <laughs> uh, apart from okay, yeah. So let me just do the best that I can. So my name is Manasi Gedebe. Um, I'm actually uh, I'm, I'm an investment manager. Um, I run a hedge fund uh, called Cody Financials that is based out of uh, Luxembourg. Um, prior to that, I was uh, the chief investment officer at Premium Pension uh, in Abuja, Nigeria. And uh, of course, before that, uh, I, I, I used to be a medical doctor in my past life uh, before I switched to investment management. So uh, I also have a CFA charter and, and I have an MBA from London Business School. There's no way I would talk about myself and not um, say that uh, I am married to one wife and uh, and I have three children. <laughs> right. So because they're, they're actually part of my identity, they are who they are. What actually make me who I am? Thank you very much for that um, concise introduction. You've you know branched out into quite a lot of things already. Now, can you just tell us a little bit about your background, a little bit about you, probably before med school, med school, and how you've evolved into finance now? Yeah, so strangely, before before I went to medical school, I actually knew that I had an aptitude for numbers, right? and I 
believe that I was either going to be a computer engineer or or a finance person. So what kind of finance it was going to be, I really had no idea. But I just knew that okay, I loved those two subjects. But then somehow, by for some reason, the fates decided that okay, I'm going to go to <clears throat> get into medical school. And the way it happened was kind of weird because uh, by my secondary school, I was I was a very serious person. Um, like I just barely passed from class to class. Uh, until I got to the final year, that's in SS3, it was still the same. And then, of course, did work because uh, just had some average, you know, average, um, average scores. And <laughs> and then, but when jump came, I don't know, something just came into my head. I just went to work for some reason, and. Uh, when the result came out, uh, I actually scored the highest in my secondary school, and everybody was just blown away. They were like shocked that where did this guy come from? <laughs> and then just for, I mean, I said, okay, first of all, I don't know what happened. I just said I'm just going to study medicine, maybe because I wanted to prove to myself that I was not a dull person. <laughs> maybe that was what happened, and that was how I got into medical school. And even when I was in medical school, of course. Uh, as doctors would know, we hardly deal with numbers. Um, but for some reason, right, when we're doing anatomy, biochemistry, and stuff like that, I had a way of codifying the knowledge into numbers. Um, like, I actually developed formulas to remember, um, to remember concepts in medicine, and they just kind of just stuck with me. Even up to today, I still remember some of them. Uh, like if you ask me, okay, what are the causes of fever in a child? I'm mean, talking about pediatrics, right? In medical school, I, I actually just had a formula for it. Like, okay, uh, this, okay, maybe uh, there's something that has to do with the blood. Okay, what are the things that will lead to fever from the blood? Okay, there's something that has to do with uh, maybe you know other part of the body, liver. Okay, what are the things that can cause? You know, so like I just codified it like that. Yeah, so that was how, uh, uh, I mean, that was how I, I went through medical school. That takes me to how I switched. <laughs> so it was just a funny thing. I, I, I don't think I actually planned to switch. It just kind of just happened. Um, when I was in medical school, I actually set up a, a cyber cafe in Uri Bent. It was probably one of the first cyber cafe or even the second. Um, for medical students to, you know, uh, to just go and browse, you know, to seek for knowledge and stuff like that. And then, of course, we were able to take advantage of that. Um, everybody just assumed, everybody just felt my class then, okay, you know, forget it. This guy's not going to, he's going to practice medicine with us. They, everybody just assumed that, okay, you know, I was going to go into tech. Like, that would be general assumption. But when we finished school, I went into finance, so it was a shock <laughs> as well. Like, uh, we thought you were going to be a computer engineer. All of a sudden, you are now a finance person. So just, uh, you know, <laughs> things that happened along the way. Well, thank you very much for that um, brief overview of events that led to, of choices that led to where you are today. Now, uh, your name or the alias that you are known by, the Knight of the Delta, how, how did that come about? 
And that's because I remember <laughs> right from the days of um, stock market Nigeria, um, you were always KOD. I remember Salida. I remember Shigidi, Nosa, and all the big guns. And um, how, how did that name come about? <laughs> okay, I think uh, it came about during the... Uh, uh, that period when militants, you know, were disturbing Nigeria, I think during the Obasanjo era, right? And of course, I'm from the Niger Delta. And uh, a lot of people, a lot of my friends know that, I mean, they know that I'm from Niger Delta. Uh, but then I used to tell them that, see, I'm not, I'm not part of the militants. So I'm the I, I, I'm a white, I'm a white Niger Delta. So, <laughs> So somehow, I mean, people, somebody just came out of that. Said, okay, so that means you are, you are a knight, like you are a prince, something like that. So that was how the name just, <laughs> just came up. I mean, that's how I became knight of death. I just talk, right? exactly. Okay, um, now on to core finance issues. I know you're an avid investor. I know you buy and sell equities. I know you are involved in quite a lot of stuff. For equities that you buy, what are the criterias that you feel these companies must have? What are your buy, buy criterias when you want to analyze companies? So now this is this is a very interesting question, and um, you are not going to expect you are not going to expect the answer I'm going to give you. So <laughs> when when I used to be uh, an investment manager, right? Um, uh, when I used to work in 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 finance, you know, in corporate setting. Yes, of course, I was forced to watch his stock, I mean, security selection, um, you know, trying to trade as in. So, but then I developed a strategy, what is called value. I mean, I didn't develop it, but that, that was my go-to strategy. That's value investment, where I use um, all sorts of parameters, such as the price to earnings, the price to book value, price to cash flow, and stuff like that. But I never really believed in it uh, because um, uh, when I was doing my CFA, right, I um, I got to understand that something that that is called asset allocation is actually much more important than security selection. So um, I'm going to explain what that means. So when you say uh, asset allocation, that is the way you describe, I mean, the way you um, you distribute your portfolio into different types of assets. So if you say, okay, I'm going to have part of your portfolio in real estate, right? And then you have part of it in stocks and then part of it in bonds, you know, part of it in maybe commodities, right? That is called asset allocation. And then the way you do it is now going to be a dependent, you know, on your risk profile. Right, your investment policy uh, and all. So that, and from studies that have been done, um, they say that asset allocation actually drives 95% of the returns of every portfolio. So it's actually much more important than security selection. So <laughs> at the end of the day, the amount of money that you put in a particular sector is more important than the type of security that you buy in that particular sector. Because if you look at the stock market as a whole, when there is a fundamental event, maybe interest rate rises or interest rate drop or inflation data comes out as something 
all the stocks will just go in one direction. So your portfolio will go in the same direction. Okay? Actually understanding that that may, may just believe that, okay, instead of just buying securities one by one, why don't you just buy the index? So for example, if you are investing in Nigeria, you could just, okay, buy some ETFs, right? You can just buy a banking um, ETF or banking index, buy industrial index, and then just mix them together, create a portfolio out of it, instead of just going to buy GTB separately, going to buy Zenibank separately. Because at the end of the day, right, if you look at every stock market in the world, what happens is that some stocks will fall out of the way, and then two or three stocks are the ones that will drive the performance of the market. But how will you know at the beginning of the year that this particular stock is one that will drive the market? You can't know. <laughs> it is difficult to know. Of course, there are some criteria that you can use to join, but it's just like gambling. Like you don't really know because it's possible for you to buy an undervalued um, uh, company and the company will stay undervalued for the next five years. And it's also possible for you to buy an overvalued company, right? And that overvalued company is the one that will actually drive the entire market, just like Tesla is doing in, in, the, in the US market, right? So why do you want to take that risk? Why not? So it's actually just better, right? I just, I mean, this is my personal investment beliefs after like almost 20 years of investing <laughs> that I'm actually come to this understanding, to the realization that it's just better to just buy the index, right? Uh, because the market will do whatever the market wants to do. So, so it is better to just align with it, yourself with the market and just flow with it. To be quite um, honest with you, I think Warren Buffett also advocates the same thing. Um, he was asked that when he dies, what's going to happen to his wealth? And he had actually said that he's probably just going to sell a good part of it to charity and just invest in the index. He's even advocated the index yeah. advancing for, for the individual investor. So, so I can actually add something to that. Right? Okay, okay. So if, if Warren Buffett can say that, it's because he actually also, he, he understands the market very well. Now, there's something that people don't really talk about, which is the Warren Buffett premium. All you need, Warren Buffett, at the point of investing, that is when he makes money. Once he buys, and the market gets to know that Warren Buffett has bought a stock, that is it. So it doesn't matter whether the stock is a dead company or something. Just like, okay, this legend has entered this company, and that is all. So he can actually just take advantage of that if he chooses to. Yeah, but of course, he's someone of integrity, like uh, people know him over the years, that he won't do that. But if he had decided to take advantage of his popularity to do something like that, he would have done it successfully. I, I believe he knows he knows what he's doing anyway. He's been investing for 75 years, so yeah. <laughs> he's about that. Okay. Um, since we've dragged Uncle Warren Buffett into the into the issue, <laughs> uh, at some point you you made a post on Twitter where you talked about um, that it's virtually impossible. It's very difficult for one to invest his way into wealth. Um, I just, what do you mean by that? And what would you propose as the, or what would you see will be the right way to get into wealth? So, uh, so there is actually a context to that where I say you cannot save your way into wealth or you cannot invest your way into wealth, right? <clears throat> now, if you are someone who is still in your 20s, right? 
and or maybe your 20s and your 30s, maybe your early to mid 30s, you don't have a lot of money, except you are from a rich family. And there's this saying that, that uh, I mean, just the cliche that people say that, okay, you need money to make money. That thing is kind of true, right? Um, if you are just somebody who is just fresh out of the university and uh, you are just living on some stipend, uh, you are living on 30K or 50K per month or something like that, how much exactly do you want to invest to get you wealthy? Let's use Warren Buffett, for example, made 90%, over 90% of his wealth after he turned 60. So this is somebody that had been investing since the age of 10. So he invested between the age of 10 and the age of 60, and he was not <laughs> the richest person after 50 years of constant compounding. And we all know the power of compounding, what compounding can do. So when I say you cannot really invest, you cannot invest or save your way to wealth, what I mean by that is when you are young, it is better for you to focus on actually investing in yourself at that point in time. Um, I see a lot of people who are young, who are, I mean, running around, okay, they want to make money, they are leveraging themselves to the hit in crypto, you know, stuff like that. I'm like, guys, no, this is not how to do it. I have traded, right? I've been there, I've done that. And that thing sucks your life. It, it, it doesn't allow you to actually get to know yourself. Or even when you do, you are going to get to know yourself after you have almost wrecked your life. You wake up in the middle of the night to look at stock charts uh, and stuff like that. You don't get to enjoy life because you are wondering what is happening to, the, to your 5K that you used to buy cheaper or, or whatever. And it's, I mean, that focus, right? Because trading actually sucks you in. So that focus that you're going to place on trading, it is better to direct that focus elsewhere into a place where you can actually develop yourself, invest in yourself instead. Because at that point in time, your human capital is massive. Like the potential is heavy and it needs it needs to be tended to. You need to water it at that particular point in time. It, life is just like, it's a natural process. Uh, at some point, when you are like in your 30s, after you've actually developed yourself, you've known yourself, all of a sudden you discover that your earning power, your earning capacity is something else. That is when you cannot start investing aggressively from the money you are making, from the skills that you have developed. We are moving into a world where People are now beginning to appreciate artists. People are, I mean, it started with maybe footballers, uh, you know, basketballers, you know, stuff like that. They started making money. That, that's because the, the world is now sh is shifting away from industrial age, using your hands to do things, right? To actually using your skills to do things, to create value. So the truth is, people who create value, right, they end up making more money they end up becoming more, much more wealthy than people who send money around. Like, okay, use money to do this, use money to do that. Even before you can use money to do things, you need to have actually built that capital, first of all. So to build that capital, the best way to build the capital is to actually invest in your human capital first. 
right? That is actually much more important at the earlier stages in your career before you get to the point where you'll be able to command money. So, <laughs> I mean, if you are really good at what you do, right? And people know that you are good at what you do. You can charge whatever you feel like charging. And the truth of the matter is we are, we are, in, we are in a world where it is now becoming possible for you to mix and match like different professions and create something unique out of it, right? So that is why, I mean, over the past one year, it's been been very interesting for me, like incredibly interesting because of what is happening to crypto. It's like combining finance and technology and engineering Right. And this how like you remember at the beginning, I said that my passions were like numbers. I knew I was either going to be a computer engineer or <laughs> a finance person. And all of a sudden I see myself in the middle somewhere where engineering and finance have actually joined together. And I'm having so much fun right now. So when I talk about crypto, it's it's so easy, it just comes so naturally to me because I have invested, I have already invested in myself for years, for decades to get up to the point. And all of a sudden, I see myself inside crypto where I'm able to mix things together. It's just, it's just crazy, right? So at the point you get to know that it's not just about the money, but about the value that you can actually generate, that you can create out of different fields. So there's nothing, I mean, that is comparable to the kind of joy that you see when you, when you are when you are doing something that you really really love doing. All right, perfect. Thank you very much for that. We'll we'll come back to crypto in a couple of seconds. But you've brought up something very important, which is like self development, investing in yourself in the early stages to improve your capacity. Now, for someone yeah. who is an individual investor. Looking at your own story, you are well studied. You have an MBA from the London Business School. You've gone through the CFA certification, which is quite rare in our part of the world. How much education or what kind of education do you feel an individual investor needs to have to make success in, in markets? So the truth of the matter is, I've asked, I mean, people have asked me this question, like, okay, how exactly do I start my finance journey, you know, how do I do this? How do I do that? Unfortunately, in this life, there's no formula. What works for one person may not necessarily work for another person. And then looking at my own background, right, I I am a medical doctor, right, who went into finance. So my path was very different from somebody who maybe studied economics or accounting and then went into and become an investment manager. So there are different paths, right? Um, so, so it is very difficult to say, okay, what works for me is going to work for somebody who maybe studied geography. <clears throat> because we see things, you know, in different ways. We have different backgrounds. So now for um, this advice is going to be for better for people who are still in their 20s, right? And the advice is just do it. Anyhow, like... There's no, you don't need, I mean, the road doesn't have to be clear. It doesn't have to be okay. Yeah, I'm going to do, it's not like, like I said, it's not a formula where you do step A, then you go to step B, then you go to step C until you get to Z. 
So what I normally tell people is, okay, what, what is the end goal? Like, what exactly are you trying to achieve? Now, this is not about money, right? It's not about saying, okay, um, I want to make a billion dollars or something like that. It's about where exactly do you see yourself in the future? I mean, people tend to ask that question and it's kind of like, okay, people just really don't take it serious anymore. Like, where do you see yourself in five years, in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years? But what I usually tell people is, you actually have to do that exercise. Where do you want to be in maybe 10 years? Right? And you think about it, there are different options ahead of you, especially when you're young. But you need to take time out to think, just put yourself right in all those different alternatives and which one actually makes your heart sing, right? Like you need, you just need to be in a quiet place and think and really put yourself like, okay, uh, okay, I want to be, okay, Minister of Health, right? And you imagine yourself sitting in the chair as Minister of Health and maybe signing documents or making, talking about policies. How does it make you feel, right? And if it's something that actually makes you happy, what you do is, now, is that you now walk your way backwards from that point to where you are. So the thing is from there, you now say, okay, what exactly, where would you be before becoming the minister of health? And then if it's like, okay, yeah, maybe you're going to be a professor in the University of Atlanta or whatever, you now go back again. What would you do for you to become a professor in the University of Atlanta? Right. So you just walk your way backwards until you get to where you are today. Then all of a sudden, the road will become clearer. Because you have already seen yourself in that place that gives you joy, that actually makes you happy. Right? It now becomes easy for you to say, okay, yes, to design your own path. Now, um, for people who ask that question, okay, how exactly do I break into finance? The question is, why do you want to break into finance? What is the end goal? What are you trying to achieve? Now, where I am today was a place where I saw myself on the day I graduated from medical school. And it happened exactly that way because it was a plan that I had, right? And actually walked my, my way backwards. I knew that, okay, at some point, I actually want to be an investor, right? Investing money for people, um, making other people wealthy. It's not just only about me. I actually want to make as many people as wealthy as possible. And I was like, okay, how exactly do I get to that stage? And it became clearer that, okay, for me to be able to invest money for people, I need to have experience in managing investments. And one of the paths of getting there is actually having to write the CFA exam, right? And then if I'm going to be able to manage other people's investment and do, doing it you know, as a corporation, as an entity, what kind of skills am I going to need? I know that having finance skills is different, but what about running a business, right? And I'm like, okay, yes, I may need to maybe do an MBA at some point. So now that now became part of the plan. I'm like, okay, after doing, after writing CFA, I will be working. And then after some days of working, I'll do an MBA. And then maybe after my MBA, then I'll go and set up this business where I'll be investing money for people. And that was exactly what I did. <laughs> so, 
So, so it's not just about okay, breaking into finance. It is the reason, the purpose, why do you want to break into finance? Then work your way backwards. Then it will become clear yeah. for you what what to do. Okay. Now, um, let's talk a little bit about crypto. I'm coming to your space now. Um, I, I read an article that you wrote sometime in probably 2018 or 1917, thereabouts, and you talked about the risk of investing in cryptocurrencies. Uh, what I could glean from that article was that your stance at that point was that, you know, crypto is a lot of speculation. Um, it could it could all get, you know, wiped out in a second. And as I then, Bitcoin had dropped from, was it 19,700? It was around 16,000 stuff. So you, you talked back then about the risks inherent in investing in crypto cryptocurrencies and all. Looking at your tweets today, has that stance changed? Do you feel crypto is still speculative or do you feel it's become something more mainstream now? This is a, this is a question that is, that's going to provoke different responses from different people. And um, the answer I'm going to, to give is not going to depend on the audience. <laughs> so, um, but here is how I will put it. For people who are crypto native, for them, they are at, I mean, in the larger, in the grand scheme of things, they are at the end of the bell curve. You know what I mean, right? So, so what is average for them is not average for the man on the street. So you cannot say that crypto is mainstream. For them, crypto is mainstream, but for everybody, crypto is not mainstream, right? Um, but the truth of the matter is the risks that were in crypto then has actually, has actually been removed. Uh, at that time, of course, Bitcoin could have died at some point, especially in 2017, 2018. Uh, that was before um, some people came up with SegWit, uh, what's called segregated witness. Um, it's one of those uh, technical stuff. Uh, that was that was what actually brought um, Bitcoin back uh, from from the abyss. It was actually going to zero then before before it was rescued. That time there was. Um, the there was some there was something called Bitcoin civil war. It had not started at that point in time, but I just knew that okay, the path to Bitcoin becoming utility was not clear. The, uh, that was in two thousand and that was in okay, yeah, that was in two thousand and seventeen that I wrote it. Um, yeah, so the path for Bitcoin becoming to having real utility was not really there. Um, it was like. I wouldn't say it was in its infancy, but it was still very young. And a lot of things were happening in the space. People were really, were really confused about, okay, how to go ahead, right? Um, and I saw it and I was like, no, this thing is risky. You have to be very careful at this point in time. I think not too long after that, script, I mean, Bitcoin dropped to like um, the $4,000, $3,000 about. So uh, that was because people now came to the realization that, okay, the high behind Bitcoin was getting too much, right? And there was really, uh, the, 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 what you could use it for was not really that, was not, did not make any kind of sense. Um, but then all of a sudden, some things started happening and then uh, the risk started reducing. And then uh, decentralized finance came on, came on board around 2020, started from 2019, rolled into 2020, and then to 2021, where it just went ballistic. So uh, 
<laughs> yeah, so the risk has actually been reduced now in crypto, but then there are still some emerging technology in the crypto space, right? That are still that are now at the point where Bitcoin was back then. Right? People know that okay, this thing is going to be good. So it's just this is just like a subsector of crypto now that I'm talking about, right? A lot of emerging technologies are still coming. You know, uh, we talk about, I mean, in crypto world, there's something we call OHM, that's OHM, one of those uh, protocols, right? People are beginning, are just looking for the utility right now. So, like, people outside crypto use see, I mean, what, what they see a lot is that, okay, crypto is like, is a technology that is looking for solution. <laughs> there's really no, like, it's not that, okay, it was designed for a solution. It is a technology that is looking for a solution. That was exactly where the internet was in 1997, 1998. Internet was looking for technology. I mean, sorry, entire technology was looking for solution. Right? And then all of a sudden, like in the when the bubble burst in 2000, and then the likes of Amazon um, started becoming bigger, uh, all of a sudden, out of the ashes, the Web2 technologies, the big um, technology companies now started you know, getting traction. So, and that is, we are at that point in crypto right now where the utility is beginning you know, to show itself. People are now beginning to understand that, okay, there are things that this um, crypto technology can actually fix. Uh, and we are gradually coming to that state, but then it is now dragging some other new protocols that are now creating some things that are very, very nascent, <laughs> some things that are going to cause a lot of you know, shift in the way we do things. They are still at the very early stages, but we're definitely going to get there. So the risk is still there. Uh, a lot of them are going to fail along the way. So that is why it is better to actually focus on the, on the side of crypto that have actually proven itself. We, are, we all know now the chance of Bitcoin dying is less than 1%. And that is the bet that I like, <laughs> personally. Do you still play in the equity space outside of um, index investing? Do you still play in the equity space on the Nigerian market, like buying individual companies and all? No. <laughs> Okay, um, which is my brings me to my next question. I know you play in the U.S. market space, or I assume you play in the U.S. market space. Comparing both, or comparing yes. and contrasting the U.S. markets, the Nigerian markets, where are we in the Nigerian markets? What can we do to improve visibility, depth, and acceptance of the market generally? Okay, so um, a lot of things are happening in Nigeria right now. Um, I've seen people advocate that, okay, maybe you should pump more money from a pension portfolios into the stock market, you know, just to drive up prices and all. And then the question is, how exactly do you expect the stock markets to do very well if the larger economy is not doing too well? Right, uh, we are struggling at um, economic growth rate of like two percent, three percent. How exactly do you expect the stock market to do very well in this kind of environment? It's going to be difficult because uh, you see inflation is very high right now, we're in the high double digits, and um, 
the exchange rate is neither here nor there. Everything is just just looking funny. Uh, there's a lot of control uh, that is happening. Of course, it's right to do to put some controls in place, but you see, I mean, the market is being stifled. So if the larger macroeconomic market is being stifled, is not being allowed to actually express itself, it is going to be very difficult for the stock markets to just decide to do well <laughs> in the middle of um, in the middle of you know the issues that that we're currently having. So until we are able to fix you know the larger macroeconomic issues that we have, the large debt overhang. Um, that right now we are borrowing, we are borrowing money to pay back the money that we borrowed before, you know, raising funds to pay interest, you know, stuff like that. It's actually very difficult for the market to do well. So we just need to fix, you know, the fiscal part um, of the economy and then also the monetary part of the economy uh, before the stock markets would be able to do well. Unfortunately, there's really no no way we can do it without without that. And then another thing we also need to focus on as well is to ensure proper corporate governance. Yeah, we have some companies in Nigeria that have solid corporate governance. Of course, I know Nestle is one of them. Right? Um, the likes of GTP2 is trying. Right? Um, I mean, we have some other companies that are very solid. So but if you have to invest in the Nigerian stock market, maybe because of regulations or because you just need to have exposure to Nigeria, I will strongly suggest that just, I mean, the stocks are cheap right now. Let's not deceive ourselves. They are very, very cheap. One of the factors you should consider is strong corporate governance. Do these companies release results on time? Right? Do they have um, um, a proper uh, succession plan in, in place? Right? Uh, do they have? Do they release their results? I mean, as a when do you know stuff like that? Do they pay dividends uh, when they promise that they're going to pay dividends? You know, do they? I mean, these are the factors you should consider first right, before even thinking of okay, the valuation, because in all honesty, <laughs> the valuations are good for most of uh, most Nigerian companies. Valuation are good. It's just that the Economy is struggling, so it's very difficult. It's going to be difficult for those stocks to, to, to really, you know, to really show, um, to show themselves. Oh, perfect. Thank you very much, sir. If if you could meet one person, living, dead, or a fictional character in a movie or in a book, if you could just meet one person, who would it be, and why do you want to meet that person? That would be. Naval Ravikant. <clears throat> I don't know if you know him. Yes, I know him. <laughs> yes. Uh, he's, the one, he's the one person I would really love to meet. He's alive and he's a real person. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I like the way he thinks. Um, he's an amazing person. Like, he, yeah, he's really into, like, okay, living, not just not just living life day by day, but actually just enjoying your life. Um, I listened to his podcast and there was a day, I mean, there are lots of things that he talks about that for some reason I've actually just imbibed into my life. Um, There was a time 
he said something like, if, if he loses everything that he has today and he just take him with only his shirt in his back and dump him in any English-speaking country in the world, that in less than 10 years, he'll be back to where he is and even wealthier than when he, where he is right now. And that is struck me. And that was one of the things that made me to say, oh boy, forget it though. All these things about, okay, saving yourself, saving money to become wealthy or investing to become wealthy, it doesn't work. And the reason he can do that is because there are some skills that he has developed over time. That even if he's stripping, stripping me away of all these worldly, you know, <laughs> all these worldly things, he can rebuild everything back brick by brick because he has the knowledge. He knows how to make the contacts that will help him to scale, to get to wherever he wants to be, right? So that's as I like, okay, the human capital, investing in human capital, investing in yourself is the best thing you can do for yourself. So it's like, it's one of the people that have actually, you know, molded the way I, the way I think, the way I do things. So of course, meeting him in person, of course, will be, <laughs> will be, will be a dream come true. As we begin to round things off, is there any word of advice that you would like to give a young working class Nigerian or from whatever nationality out there listening who is keen on building wealth? Yeah, I think I think um, that is what I've been saying since so invest in yourself. So and then uh, apart from investing in yourself, you know, with books, uh, education and, and things like that, um, another gift you can give to yourself as well is Put yourself in an environment where magic can happen. Um, yeah, this this may now this may not sound too palatable for a lot of policymakers and people in government and uh, most people who are in excuse me in development finance and stuff. But if as a young person, if you really want to make it big in this life, you have to be in an environment where you will be you will be among people who are like you people who think like you um so to be frank uh, you know you mentioned stock markets in nigeria right it is one of those things that made me who i am because i got to meet people who actually just changed my life <laughs> as in literally like they exposed me to opportunities that i did not know were there that was the world. I mean, that's that's that was the. I was able to leverage on the power of the internet to do that. But if you can put yourself in a place, it, it may be on the internet, it may be physical, but but with the way the world works, it's better to be you know the physical location where yeah where you can actually attract where you can where you can stay with people who believe that they have to be the best at what they do not just in their locality, but in the world. There's a way it changes and shifts your mindset. And if you're able to get into this mindset at a much younger age, it can drive, um, I mean, it can cause cause a dent in the world, in all honesty. That is why Silicon Valley is so so powerful, right? Because people go there and they go there because they feel that they can change the world from, from that place because of the kind of culture that they've built, that they've designed 
into their society. Of course, unfortunately, it, um, it has suddenly become a place where the gap between the, the rich and the poor is so is so, so wide. Um, but it's one of the it's one of the uh, the draw is it the drawback of uh, capitalism. Uh, I am a capitalist, but I believe strongly that we should have um, a capitalism with a face. It, the onus is now on us as individuals right, to to ensure that okay, our capitalism does not have like uh, negative externalities, like where it affects other people um, negatively. Uh, <laughs> so coming back to 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 the question. Like that environment is very important. Investing in yourself is very important. Having those two, right? And being in a place where you can interact with people who believe you have to be the best in the world at what they do can actually just change your life. That's why I usually advocate for people that, okay, if you can, just go and do an MBA. <laughs> Not just any ordinary MBA, but like in top schools. Because people who go to top schools they believe in themselves, like no, they want to do big things. That's why they're even going there in the first place. They're going to meet people who who are who are trying to do things to shake the world. <laughs> and that is where you want to find yourself. So that is the advice I'll give any young person. Thank you very, very much for your time. I know I've taken about an hour of your time, but it's believe me, it's been well worth it. The countless people out there listening really 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 appreciate your time thank you very much sir all right sure thank you